Let's turn again uh, in our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 16 today. As we come to uh, Luke chapter 10, we are beginning a a mini-series on missions. Uh, Missions is a fundamental task of the church. Sometimes we speak about the mission of the church and missions, and maybe that's a little bit confusing, so let me explain. The the mission of the church is singular, to, to glorify and enjoy God together. And we do that in, in several ways. We, we glorify God together in worship. We glorify God together in discipleship as we learn to love and serve God more. And we glorify God together in missions. And it's that third area that we're going to spend the next several weeks thinking about together as we camp out here in Luke chapter 10. Before I read our, our text, I, I pray that uh, the hymn we just uh, sang together it was your prayer, but let me... Lead us uh, in prayer before we read God's word. Lord, we we do pray that you would speak to us now and plant those eternal truths deep in our minds and our hearts. Uh, Speak your word to us, O Lord, and have mercy upon me as I seek to proclaim it. We ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. Let's hear God's word. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two and to every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages." Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. 
And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Well, my friends, Christ calls us to missions. Uh, Missions is a fundamental task of the church of Jesus Christ. But what exactly do we mean by missions? As we look at Luke chapter 10 for the next several weeks, I I want us to see this basic idea that missions is the great work of telling all peoples of every tribe and nation and tongue the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Uh, It is this gospel labor that Christ calls us to. So missions is a fundamental part of the mission of the church. It it is uh, a part of the the lifeblood of a congregation. I want us to see as we go further on in Luke chapter 10, that if if a church is not engaged in missions, the glory of God diminishes in those people's midst and the joy of God's people dwindles. So it's important for us to understand the work of missions. It's important for us to have clarity on what missions actually is. After all, if an organization or a group lacks clarity on their fundamental mission, well, what's, what's going to happen? There's going to be confusion. There's going to be an expending of energy and resources on things that ultimately do not promote the mission of that group. And that's true of the church. And so as a church, we need to have crystal clear clarity on our mission and specifically for the next several weeks, our mission to the world. Now let's remember the context here in Luke chapter 10. Remember Luke 9 is a a turning point in Luke's gospel. Jesus has revealed that he is is the Christ who must go to Jerusalem and there suffer, die, and rise again. At this point, the Lord Jesus has has fixed his face like like a flint upon the city of Jerusalem to go there and die on a cross for the salvation of his people. And Luke chapters 9 through 19 are are a record of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, a journey now shaped by the cross. He has determined to go to Calvary. But there are still other peoples and other towns that Jesus wants to reach with the gospel, with the good news that he has come to proclaim. And so he sends out these disciples ahead of him to these other towns and and villages to proclaim this message. And he wants them to tell people about the kingdom and to do works of mercy that, that manifest the nature of that kingdom. And he wants them to, to proclaim the kingdom of God and the king of that kingdom and to do works that evidence and show forth the nature of, of belonging to that kingdom, the blessings of being a citizen of that kingdom. Now, somebody might look at this group of disciples that Jesus sends out and say, well, look, they're, they're a unique group serving at a unique moment in redemptive history so 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 what do we have really to learn from them about the work of missions don't you hear that objection you understand it we would say that there's some truth to this that this is a unique group of individuals 
appointed and sent at a unique moment in history, given unique gifts to cast out demons and to heal the sick. So in those senses, they are unique, but in another sense, they are not unique. And I think Luke makes that clear in the way that he begins Luke chapter 10. He begins by telling us in verse 1 that after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him. Others. What's Luke talking about? Other, other what? Luke is saying other disciples. Remember at the end of chapter 9, Jesus encountered three potential disciples and he gave them instruction that applies to all disciples regarding what it, what it really means to follow after Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus taught us that following, following him means costly discipleship. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Following Jesus means uh, urgent proclamation. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And, and following Jesus means a wholehearted, singular devotion. Eyes fixed upon the Savior. You put your hands to the plow and you don't ever, ever look back. And so now Luke tells us that Jesus appointed 72 others, others of the same sort, other typical disciples Jesus sent them out into the same towns in which he was about to go. And so just acknowledge these, these guys are not apostles, though they are sent ones. They are not special evangelists, though they certainly engage in the work of evangelism. These are ordinary, everyday disciples that Jesus commissions and sends forth to proclaim this good news. And in the sending of the disciples, this is what I want us to see over the next several weeks. The sending out of the disciples in this chapter is a, is a model mission that anticipates the future global mission work that Jesus would begin after his death and resurrection and ascension. And so what, what is the entire book of Acts about? It is the carrying out of this very same mission that Jesus commissions his disciples to engage in. Uh, but here we, we see here, in, in the middle of Luke's gospel, before Jesus has even gotten to Jerusalem, we, we have an alert, an early alert, regarding the missionary character of the church. And as we look at this chapter, we're going to see what missions looks like, uh, what missions achieves, and the joy of missions. But today, as we, as we look at these first 16 verses, I want to draw out three things regarding missions. I want us to think together about some of the characteristics of missions. I want us then to think about the work of missions, what missions actually is. And then I want us to think about the eternal significance of missions. And so in the first place, let's think about some of the characteristics of missions. As we get started in verse 1, right away we see that the work of missions is global. The work of missions is global in scope. Jesus appointed 72. And that number is significant. If you're reading from an ESV translation and you look down to the bottom, you'll see there's a footnote that says there are some manuscripts that read 70. So we have some manuscripts from the Gospel of Luke that say 72 and some other manuscripts that say 70. 
And that instantly raises the question, why the, why the variance? Why do we have these two numbers in the manuscripts we have available to us? I think the likely answer is, is this. If you go back to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 10, you have the table of nations where there's a list of representative names given to to represent the peoples of the earth. Just before, remember the story of the Tower of Babel when God came down in judgment and dispersed the peoples of the earth. Here's the interesting thing. If you look at Genesis chapter 10, the table of nations, in the Hebrew Old Testament, there are 70 names. But if you pick up a Greek copy of uh, the, the Old Testament, the Septuagint, in Genesis chapter 10, there are 72 names. So whether it's 70 or 72, here in Luke chapter 10, it, the name, the, the, these disciples are symbolic of the nations of the world. You know, Jesus appoints this number to show that the, that the nations of the earth are within his view. That the nations of the world are his concern. Jesus intends, as it were, to to undo the effects of the fall. To bring restoration and redemption. And to bring and gather people together once again. Not to worship themselves, but to worship the true and living God. And so Jesus sends these disciples. 70 or 72. And it anticipates. it's, uh, It's indicative of the future global work of missions that the church will take up beginning in the book of of Acts. And so Jesus sends these disciples out two by two. No no doubt to, uh, you see the wisdom in that, to, to go forth together, to do ministry hand in hand, to provide support and encouragement to, to one another. But we see here initially this work of missions is global. And then secondly, this work of missions is grounded in the work of the triune God. The work of missions is the work of the Trinity. And that the work of the triune God engages us in missions. That, that, that God carries out his missional purposes through his people. Look at the beginning of this passage and you'll see that it is God the Son who mandates missions. In verse 1, it is the Lord Jesus who appoints and sends his disciples out to the towns and peoples. And in verse 3, he tells them to pray to the Lord of the harvest. Who is that? It's the Heavenly Father. And isn't that a wonderful encouragement? It's It's not the world's harvest. It's not my harvest. It's not Satan's harvest. It's the Lord's harvest. And then if we can jump ahead to the book of, of Acts, chapter, uh, chapter 1, I think it's verse 8. It's the Holy Spirit promised to empower the church to serve as witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ, beginning in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the ends of, of the earth. So our work in missions is grounded in the work of the triune God, I don't know about you, but that gives me great encouragement. The father sent his son on a mission to to lay down his life for sinners and empowered him by the Holy Spirit. And now 
Christ commissions his church, empowering them by the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, as Jesus says, that the Father sent me, so I send you. And so these first two characteristics, missions is global and missions is grounded in the work of our triune God. It, it, it is a work that extends to the ends of the earth and it is a work that God does through his people. And if you think about that, if this is, if this is God's work, then that inevitably leads us to an, another characteristic that Jesus brings up here in verse 2. And it's this, that missions is to be girded with prayer. Look at verse 3. Jesus calls us to pray earnestly for, for the work of missions. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and uh, send out, to send out laborers into his harvest. Uh, missions... Missions must be grounded, girded by the prayers of God's people. And here Christ tells us to pray for, for, for more laborers to be sent out into the fields. And just as an aside, incidentally, I want, you to, I want you to notice and think about this, that while these disciples engage in missions, they do not necessarily have to go to, to another country you know, they don't, have to, they don't have to get on a plane or a, a boat and cross a sea to engage in the work of missions. Yes, the work of missions is global in scope, but dear friends, there is a mission field right outside those two doors today. Johnstown is a mission field. And it's the mission field that God has called many of us to. And, 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 and so as we think about as we think about the work of missions, don't, don't romanticize it. Don't, don't outsource it. Don't, don't mishear me. We absolutely need to have missionaries being sent to the far corners of the earth. But my friends, recognize the fact that you live on a mission field. And it's the mission field that God has called us to as a church. And so a primary characteristic of missions is, is prayer. You know, I found myself, as I was thinking about this text, um, really convicted. Uh, actually, I was reading a psalm. And the psalm is just packed full of petitions to the Lord to, to, for, for the glory of God to cover the earth. For the, for the nations of the world to come and worship King Jesus. For peoples of every tribe and nation to come to, to Mount Jerusalem and bow down before the Lord Jesus Christ. And the thought crossed my mind. You know, Jared, how, how often your prayers are so, so little. How, how often your prayers are so focused on your immediate needs and upon yourself. Now again, don't mishear me. We absolutely should be praying for ourselves and our physical and immediate needs. But it's true, isn't it, that how much we pray for the work of missions is an indicator of how much it really matters to us. And Jesus, Jesus wants our prayers to be Christ-centered and kingdom-focused because, because we love him and, and we long to see others come to love and trust him too. And so missions is global. Missions is, 
grounded in the work of the Trinity. Missions is to be girded with prayer and we go into enemy-occupied territory. Look at verse 3. Jesus says, Go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That's a stunning image, isn't it? Uh, that, that, That the good shepherd who loves and cares for his sheep sends his sheep out into the midst of vicious wolves. There's Jesus' description of missions. Behold, I am sending you out as, as, uh, as lambs into the midst of wolves. In other words, there will be opposition, uh, resistance, and even at times danger. It will, be, it will be opposed tooth and nail by some. It will be doggedly resisted by others. And, and it will invoke attacks from some. And my friends, the, the, the reason being the world hates Christian missions because the world hates Christ. And, and that, is, that is what Jesus is simply acknowledging here. He, he's being honest with his disciples. He's not pulling the wool over their eyes. He wants them to know what they are getting themselves into and they engage in the work of missions. And he's simply saying, since they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Isn't that the truth we also see in the last verse of this section? We read verse 16. As ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ, when you speak the gospel to someone, Jesus is saying, it's Christ speaking to them. And then Jesus says, when they reject you, they are in fact rejecting me. And when they reject me, they are rejecting the one who sent me. And so when missions is being carried out, my friends, on the, on the one hand... People will be saved and brought into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And nothing in heaven and on earth can hinder that from taking place because all authority belongs to Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, Jesus is saying you can expect dogged, persistent opposition. And at times that opposition will crop up in our workplaces, among our relationships and networks, and even perhaps within our homes, that as we seek to obey Jesus, he's saying, I send you out into opposition. So so the work is global. It's, It's grounded in the Trinity. It's girded with prayer. We go into opposition, and then we also see that we go urgently. We go with a sense of the urgency of this task. Look what Jesus says in verse 4. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Now there is a unique element to this instruction because actually later in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 22, Jesus will instruct the disciples to do just the opposite. That if you have a knapsack and a money bag, make sure you take it with you because Jesus is preparing these disciples for long-term missions works. So there is something unique about what Jesus is saying to these disciples in Luke 10. But there is a fundamental lesson for each and every one of us. And it's simply this, that the task of missions is urgent. It's urgent. Now just think about this. When Jesus sends them out, he tells them not to worry about a money bag, a knapsack, or sandals. What do those three items represent? Money, money 
food, and clothing. You know, the three, three things that we would consider necessities of life, three things that often occupy our time and, and our energies to make sure that we have these things to live. But Jesus is saying to these disciples, don't let concern for those things keep you from engaging in this urgent work. Trust God to provide, he says. You see, that I think the application for us, hear me loud and clear, the application for us here is not to get rid of our money, sell our homes, give away most of our clothing, and then hit the streets. <laughs> That's not the application here. The application is that the tasks task of missions is direly urgent, that there needs to be a, a sense of urgency among God's people regarding this work. So Jesus says, greet no one on the road. Now, that sounds kind of rude. Until you realize that uh, you know, formal greetings at that time could take, a, take up a great deal of time. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, I am sending you out with an urgent work. Keep focused. Keep your eyes fixed on the road ahead. Get to the next town and villages because you have a message that people need to hear. I think about this. I think this is a challenge for comfortable Christians, isn't it? You know, God, God has, let's be honest, God has blessed the church and Christians today in, in ways that Christians in the past would have never even dreamed of being possible. Uh, the, the resources that we have at, at our disposal. But isn't it, isn't it easy that when, when we have all of those things to, to, to get kind of comfortable to kind of sit back and relax. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. My disciples understand that the work of missions is an urgent work until I return. Until the consummation. This is something you need to have your eyes fixed on. There is a message people must hear. So don't get caught up in the things of this world as if those things were ultimate. But commit yourself to the urgent task of missions. So those are, some, those are some of the characteristics of missions we see in this chapter. Global, divine, girded by prayer, go into opposition, go urgently. But then there's still a question that hanging out there in the air. What exactly is the work of missions, right? What is the work that Jesus sends these disciples out to do? And I think we have the answer to that question here in verses 5 through 9. Jesus sends out the disciples to proclaim a message of good news. I want, us to, I want us to spend some time on this because there is a great deal of confusion, even, even among Christians who rely on the Bible to define missions. And in our day, I think there is a unique challenge and risk of decentralizing what Jesus, in fact, tells us to keep central when it comes to missions. And so I want us to look at these verses. Look at what Jesus sends these disciples out to do. The answer is there in verse 5. We've got to unpack this verse. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. Now, peace be to this house is shorthand in Luke's gospel, for the forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus Christ. 
Now, if you think I'm just pulling that out of thin air, let me, let me show you that that comes right out of Luke's gospel. I hope you have a Bible on your lap, because I'm going to ask you to turn to some different passages. Because I want to make sure you understand that this is, this is how Luke understands this verse. Turn back to the very beginning in Luke chapter 1, verse uh, 76. Luke chapter 1, verse 76. This is a prophecy regarding uh, John the Baptist. Verse 76 says, You, child, John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of sins. So, so what, ask the question, so what is the salvation that John is to give knowledge of? The salvation that John is to give knowledge of is the salvation that involves the forgiveness of sins. Now look at how that salvation is described in verse 79. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. So at the heart of salvation is the forgiveness of sin that leads to peace. When the disciples announced to a household, peace be to this house, this is Short, a shorthand summary of the message that the disciples were to share with this house. That the news of salvation has come to you. That the possibility of forgiveness in Christ Jesus is opened up to you. It's, it's here. There is peace with God. And this is how we should understand this passage. It comes out even more clearly in Luke's gospel. Turn to another text in Luke chapter 7. I want you to look at another story Luke chapter 7 in verse uh, 48. Now this is Jesus speaking to the sinful woman. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And if you look at it, uh, then those who were at the table with him began to you know, grumble amongst themselves. Who is this who thinks he has the authority to forgive sins? And Jesus said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See the connection. So because she trusted in Christ, her sins were forgiven. And because her sins were forgiven, she could go forth in peace. You remember who this woman was. She was the, likely the town prostitute. And Jesus is saying to this woman, this, this woman's life who was filled with humiliation and shame and sin and idolatry, Jesus is saying you can go forth in peace, peace with God and peace because your life is going to be transformed by the gospel. So again, Luke is telling us that peace is peace with God through the forgiveness of sins. And so come back to Luke chapter 10. I think we can conclude this about the church's mission to the world. That the priority of missions is to proclaim the good news of reconciliation with God through the forgiveness of sins. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. Offer them the gospel. Show them the way of salvation. Proclaim peace to them. Now, this priority of proclamation is something we, we've seen again and again in Luke that I've tried to, tried to draw out. Jesus 
who, by the way, was missionary par excellence, missionary Jesus defined his ministry as a ministry of proclamation. Remember back in Luke chapter 4 when he quoted from Isaiah, the the spirit of, of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me to proclaim, to preach good news to the poor. And then later in that same chapter, uh, Jesus is performing these works of mercy and, and people are, are begging Jesus to stay because they, they want to see more miracles. Do you remember what Jesus said? No. No, I, I must go to other towns and villages to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Now this is true at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, but Luke also bookends this entire gospel emphasizing this point that the fundamental mission of the church to the world is a ministry of proclamation. And so you can look at, at Luke chapter 24. Sorry to have you turning all over the place today, but Luke 24 verses 46 and 47. I want you to see this for yourself. So after his death and resurrection, look at what Jesus confirms here. Jesus confirms that his, this primary task of proclamation is now going global. That repentance and the forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in Jesus' name to all of the nations. Okay, so the priority of missions is proclamation. It's verbal speaking. It, It is telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, Does that mean that as Christians we will have no concern for the the needy around us or the poor? No, absolutely not. Because the gospel will inevitably produce people who care about the needs of others. Who will, as Paul says in Galatians 6, seek to do good to all. I think this comes out though that that the fundamental task of Christian missions is to proclaim the gospel of peace. I think that comes out in verses 8 through 11 in Luke chapter 10. If you're still in Luke 24, go back to Luke 10. Notice Jesus tells the disciples what to do if a town rejects them. And Jesus tells his disciples what to do if a town receives them. Look at these verses. I think I just put it in the opposite order. But look at the verses here. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we will wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Do you you notice the order that Jesus lays out there? If you go to a town and the gospel is received, if people respond in faith to your message, those people then begin to experience the blessings and the benefits and the privileges of belonging to the kingdom of God. Jesus says if they receive you, then then show them the blessings and privileges of being a citizen in the kingdom of, of the Lord. Then Jesus says if a town does not receive you, What are they to do? Actually, they're to give them a solemn warning. 
Now, just as a, let me back up for a second. I think we need to notice that in the time of Jesus, while Jesus was physically present on earth, that the, the, the signs of belonging to the kingdom of God were themselves physical. It often included physical healings. But here Jesus says, if you go into another town and the gospel is rejected, then, then they are not actually given the blessings of belonging to the kingdom of God. Isn't that interesting? They're given a warning. That the kingdom of God has come near to them in word, but they have rejected that message And therefore, they do not partake of the blessings of the kingdom of God. Go back to that question now. Does this mean that Christians, you know, we should ignore the needs of other people and not seek to show mercy to non-Christians? Absolutely not. As Christians, we, we care about the needs and the sufferings of others. And as we go out into the world as Christians... We will have a godly concern for the needy among us and and we will seek to do good to all. But I do want you to see in this passage as we think about the priority of missions, that first of all, Jesus puts the priority on the proclamation of the gospel first and foremost. And then he says mercy ministry is actually first and foremost meant to be directed to the family of God. That that mercy ministry is first and foremost to be administered to brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Those who belong to the kingdom. As an experience and and taste of belonging to that restorative and redemptive kingdom. And isn't, isn't this exactly what we see in the book of Acts when you see the church carrying on this mission? And you see the mercy ministry of the church. What was the mercy ministry primarily directed to, but to the people of the Lord? To God's people. I think think, uh, Paul's verse in Galatians 6 is really helpful for us. Let us seek to do good to all, but especially the household of faith. As we think about the priority of missions then, I think, there are, I think there are several implications for us. It's important as a church that we think through the mission works that we support. That we should support mission works that prioritize the proclamation of the gospel and the founding of churches around the world. It means we prioritize proclaiming Jesus Christ in our own mission field that Christ has called us to. And it certainly means that as a household of faith, That mercy ministry should be front and center and a part of our life together as the family of God. Because it manifests the nature of the kingdom of God and what it means to belong to that kingdom. So the characteristics of missions, the work of missions, very briefly here, uh, the, the eternal significance of missions. We'll come back to this next week. But what should disciples do if people say no to Jesus? What should disciples do if people close the door to the kingdom of God? Jesus says to warn them of the seriousness of that rejection. He tells them to speak of the judgment of God to come. And he says that it will be worse for them on the day of judgment than for Sodom. Why? Because the gospel has come to them with even greater clarity than for the the people in Sodom in the days of righteous Lot when he uh, spoke out against the wickedness of that city. 
That's a terrifying thought, isn't it? That the judgment will be worse for you than for Sodom. So these towns have rejected the message of Jesus. And Jesus says, I have a message for them. Woe to you, he says. Woe to you. And so as the work of missions is carried out, you see a division is taking place. There will be some who receive the message. There will be some who reject the message. And Jesus wants these people to understand loud and clear that there are eternal implications for such a mission, for for such rejection. So so what is the work of, of missions, dear friends? The work of missions is the global task of proclaiming Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And, and, and it's grounded in the work of the Trinity. It's to be girded with prayer. We, we do it in the face of opposition and we do it urgently because we understand proclaiming Christ has eternal significance for people. Sometimes this task is, I think, overwhelming. It overwhelms me, the thought of this task as one of your pastors. And, uh, you know, I listened to a, a story this week about a, a, a pastor by the name of Thomas Guthrie. Uh, Thomas Guthrie was a, a pastor in the 1800s called to serve in a church in Edinburgh, Scotland. Now, by the mid-19th century, Edinburgh had become uh, largely secularized. And uh, when Thomas Guthrie arrived at, at the, the church that he was going to serve at, he Uh, went out on a bridge that's right out in front of the church to this day. The bridge is called Charles IV Bridge. And uh, Thomas Guthrie stood on this bridge and had had, uh, a a sight of the city of Edinburgh. And he looked down upon the city and and, and right away he could see the, the vast spiritual needs of that place. He could see the spiritual darkness. He could see that people were were corrupt to the core. And he was was paralyzed by the sheer vastness of the task of taking the gospel to such a people. And as he's standing there paralyzed, another pastor and friend of Thomas Guthrie saw him on the bridge. And this pastor's name is Thomas Chalmers. Some of you will know Thomas Chalmers looked on his friend's face, and he could right away see the concern on Guthrie's face. Right away, he could could read that Guthrie was overwhelmed by the scope of the responsibility of taking the gospel to those people. You know what Thomas Chalmers did? He, He put his arm around his friend Thomas Guthrie, and he said these words, A beautiful field, sir. A mighty fine field of operation. I wonder, my friends, is that how we see Johnstown? Yes, the task can be overwhelming, but my friends, it is the Lord's harvest field. It's His field, and it's right outside our door. My friends, the need is great, the harvest is plentiful, and laborers are few. I pray regularly that the Lord would send forth from Trinity Church missionaries to the ends of the world, not because I want to get rid of you, but because the task is that important. But not all of us can go. 
right? Some of us are senders called to support with giving and prayer. But my friends, that does not mean that we who live here in Johnstown do not live on a mission field. Christ has put us here in Johnstown and one of our fundamental tasks is to proclaim the good news of the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. How, how are we doing with that? I, I pray that we would have, that, that we would see Johnstown the same way Thomas Chalmers saw Edinburgh. And through, the, through the lens of, of Luke chapter 10, and I, and I hope we can put our arms around one another today and say, a very fine field, a very fine field of operation. It's the Lord's field, and he calls us to go. And let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ, for peace and reconciliation in our own lives. And as we look around us, Lord, we, well, we can be shocked and paralyzed by the magnitude of the need around us. Are people of small gifts, uh, reluctant, sometimes worried about what others might say. But Lord, you have, you have called us together as a church to go forth and to make known the mystery of the gospel, the gospel of peace, the possibility of the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Equip us and send us out together. And may we see rich, rich gospel fruit here in our own mission field. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.